You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. On the show, we have a preview of the Theatre Ontario Festival. Also ahead, we get set for the Villa Charities fundraising ride coming up later this month. And we learn more about the mobile MRI unit at Markham Stouffville Hospital. But we begin with the province's plan to review and likely raise highway speed limits. Brian Patterson from the Ontario Safety League spoke with us immediately following his meeting with Ontario's Transportation Minister. We had an excellent meeting. I think what, uh, what has transpired is the, uh, uh, whether the, the, the select areas of the 400 go to 110 or 120 uh, uh, is going to be part of a, a recommended test. Uh, and there's going to be uh, a fair bit of consultation on issues that uh, were critically important to different stakeholders. Uh, for us, for example, we, we think that uh, uh, if uh, moving the speed limit, uh, in fact, will not have any uh, significant change uh, that is uh, exclusive to the speed change. So uh, uh, we will uh, want to see that if anybody's going 150 on a 400 series highway, that they receive the same sanction after the adjustment as they're going to receive now, which is the uh, stunt driving suspension of your license for seven days, seizure of your vehicle, et cetera, and uh, six demerit points. So I think the, I, you know, I, uh, I think the minister was certainly uh, listening uh, and uh, committed to uh, working with the stakeholders like the uh, police and uh, ourselves and other safety organizations. Because at the end of the day, we don't want people to just think, oh, well, uh, I, I drive recklessly now at 120. I'm going to start driving recklessly at 140. And do you think that's going to happen? I, I think British Columbia made a big jump. They didn't do any education and they rolled it back. Uh, to, so I think uh, we want to get the education out front on this. Uh, we're doing it as a test, so it isn't a uh, sort of a showpiece announcement. And uh, we'll have time to study it before we make it permanent. I mean, right now, um, most 400 series highways, there are sections which are significantly less congested most of the time and may lend themselves to this uh, process. But again, whatever the speed limit is, it's set in ideal conditions. So uh, for those who drove through fog and rain at some point in today, those aren't ideal conditions. Who else was around the table with the, uh, the transportation minister? Well, yeah, uh, CAA was there, and prior to that, we had, uh, uh, I know there's been uh, detailed discussions with the police. So I think at the end of the day, um, uh, 110 or 120 is not scary. Uh, there's issues to support it. But we want to make sure that uh, people that are driving above those uh, receive similar um, uh, sanctions as they, see, as they see right now, and they don't think that they can start going 170 before the extreme driving issues would come into play. Now, right now it's in the discussion or exploration stage. When do you think these changes, if they are going to be implemented, when will that happen? Well, I think there's going to have to be some sort of uh, at least quick study of the data that's available right now to determine what what would be a willing uh, host for this uh, additional speed. And then... uh, uh, we can start to see what the impact is going to be uh, on um, just the, the, the other flow. I mean, there's no point in being able to speed through the center of uh, the highway where it's not congested and just get you to the congestion faster. We want to make sure that on-ramps and off-ramps, I, uh, uh, I know uh, um, uh, the regions themselves have done a very good job of uh, uh, tying in getting on and off the highway. So let's make sure we don't uh, throw that all out of whack as well. So what would be your advice to drivers if, um, if this change in speed limit is um, put into effect? What's your advice to drivers? Well, for about 84% of the drivers on the road right now, <clears throat> it'll have no effect at all because they're already going about 120. 
So uh, I guess to that group, you'd have to stay stay uh, stay the course. And for those that are currently in that high risk area above that, uh, that the sanctions we hope we're not going to change, and uh, we're going to bring in some additional education for people who've decided that they can uh, they can uh, uh, place others at risk by uh, excessive high speed. Brian, thank you for joining us on the feed on 105.9 The Region. Thanks again. Have a good day. And pay attention on the road. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. This weekend may be one of the few when it actually feels like spring outside. Afwaba caught up with Environment Canada's senior climatologist, Dave Phillips, with what's ahead for the month of May. We're about a month and a half or so into spring, and it's uh, been a soggy one, <laughs> and everyone is sort of looking ahead to seeing if, if this is this going to be the trend for the rest of spring and into summer. Uh, we are coming to calm your fears and anxieties. I have the perfect person to speak with me today, senior climatologist with Environment Canada, Dave Phillips. Dave, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me aboard. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to provide some antidote for um, spring missing in action, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I can describe where it is and why it hasn't uh, performed like everybody thought it would and uh, and what's ahead. Okay, so yes, please do. Let's uh, inform the listeners well. Um, I know that it is a new month. It's not necessarily a new season. Should we necessarily be in such a panic? Of course, it seems like April has been um, a bit more rainier than usual. Um, Can you just give us the details as to why that is? Well, you're right. I mean, ever since the first day of spring in, in around the 20th of March, it's really been a downer with regards to uh, spring. I mean, at that time of the year, in late or March, April, we should be seeing some some summery-like days. Not every day, not every week, but at least a few teasers. And uh, Because really, that is what spring is. It's really the transition between the, the winter, the cold, and the snow, and the and the and the, the summer, which is the the warmth and the and the dryness of the air, the lots of sunshine. And what we're seeing is spring so far in March and April, and my gosh, now early May, it's uh, being more winter-like. It's very inclement. We've not been able to string two good days in a row. We had maybe at a times in York Region two days that were drier, but uh, one of those days was maybe a little cooler. So we really haven't had. We've not been spoiled at all. And and of course, everybody across the country seems to be in the same situation. So we're seeing more Canadian air, more Arctic air, not enough American air to uh, to satisfy us. And of course, uh, in in parts of southern Ontario and the uh, certainly in the Ottawa area and also up in the Bracebridge Muskoka area, they're seeing a lot more precipitation and they're they're standing in water and it's uh, it, it's really the flood issue. Even in Richmond Hill area and York region, uh, it's been wet really since the beginning of the year. We've de- dealt with maybe precipitation anywhere 30 to 40 percent more uh, precipitation than normal, and temperatures have actually been on the cool side every month since uh, since January. So I don't think we're imagining it. It's not something that we should feel that it's our fault. I mean, it's just the fact that hey, uh, winter went on a little longer, and spring hasn't really been able to uh, to shed some of the winter uh, winter gear that it has. Winter, is, uh, spring is always a fickle, fitful kind of a, of a season. Um, but I think what we've been shortchanged, and here we are in the, kind of the last month of uh, spring. Environment Canada looks at March, April, May as being spring, and so here we are in the last month, and it really hasn't changed, and even a change of month did not change the the kind of, of weather. So it's uh, a bit disappointing. Uh, people are feeling this is very much like last spring, which was missing in action, and this one is uh, is has not been nice. And I think what's added to it, that's why, is the fact that we didn't have a fall last year. We went in October, November, December, January, February, March, April. have all been uh, kind of uh, tended to be on the cool side. And so I think we're getting a little bit de- depressed about it, and we'd like to see some some spring-like weather. People aren't going to the golf courses, they're not visiting the garden centers, the um, and um, and they're just not going for those walks. I mean, people are still bundled up with clothes that remind them more of the of the the, the dead of winter rather than the uh, the dog days of summer. I hear you on that. I still have my winter jacket out, and I'm kind of I waiting know, to pack I know. it away. It's not, not pleasant. Okay, and so let's talk about maybe the the higher than 
usual um, precipitation amounts that have been happening across the province. Of course, we have um, from the shoreline hazard warnings for Lake Ontario to the flood watches issued by the Lake Simcoe Region um, Authority. When can we see um, maybe the precipitation sort of receding a little bit? Um, Is it safe to say that uh, maybe this is one of those anomalies or should people be worried that this will be the same type of spring that it was in 2017 with um, sort of flooding happening on the Toronto Islands and in different areas? Well, I mean, it's a good question. And we know that Lake, the, the Great Lakes are really right now highest they've been at this time of the year in the last 20, 30 years. And so there is some nervousness. We've seen the flooding uh, in parts of the uh, of the provinces that was in 2017. And, of course, we know that through some very heavy rains in April and May, uh, Lake Ontario was swollen, and we saw the Toronto Islands being shuttered down, and not just for residents, but for people who like to go and visit there as a recreational pursuit. It's very much part of the life of the Toronto GTA, and that was denied people for about two and a half, three months. And so there's not, hopefully not a way of repeating that. We, the water levels were so high, even, even the navigation was restricted, and the ships had to move slower because they were creating a wake that would, um, uh, would actually cause the water levels to eat away at the shorelines, and, uh, and so there were some, some concern there. So we're going to, I think, have to live with that. Um, we'll just maybe hopefully March or uh, May won't be as wet as it was in 2017. Um, but we've certainly seen um, a deja vu to Muskoka uh, and the Ottawa area. Ottawa uh, flooding has been worse this year than it was in 2017. And, and the reason for it was a lot of snow that came during the winter, and it stayed. I mean, the fact that I earlier mentioned how cold it was in the, in the winter, not record cold, but persistently cold, uh, uh, didn't allow that snow to melt like it does sometimes two or three times during the winter. So they were stuck with a lot of snow right till the uh, spring arrived, and then some heavy rains recently has caused this standing water issue along the Ottawa River, and also up in the uh, Bracebridge area and the Halliburton area, uh, we've seen precipitation has been 40% more than normal. They had 20, almost 25% more snow, and again, some very, a lot of April showers and, and some spring snows has has created the kind of issue that we have. So, you know, here in York Region, I mean, we can complain of the fact the weather hasn't cooperated, but certainly we haven't had the flood issues that uh, we have seen in other parts. We should be thankful for uh, for that. Definitely thankful. Okay, and so with that, since you also mentioned that spring is a transition season, how has this affected the transition? Um, because we know that it takes that time for nature to um, get into the groove, I guess, if you will, before it gets into the, the summer-like bloom. Um, but because now the grounds are oversaturated with uh, so much water, and of course, um, the, the cold-like temperatures are persistent, it's not helping um, trees or what not to bloom on time. How has this affected it, it all in general? Well, that's why you say it very well. I mean, it is fact that we're seeing growth has been very slow. I mean, I've seen a couple of trees with buds on it, but that's really uh, uh, a surprise. We should see flowers should be in full bloom. People should be actually uh, plotting their uh, strategy out for the garden. They should be playing in the muck in their backyard, and, and it's just been too cool. The ground, the soil temperatures are very cold. I doubt whether the frost is out of the out of the ground in in every place. Uh, uh, people have raked maybe their lawns, but the lawns are turn, starting to turn green. But it, it really, everything has been slowed by not just days, but by weeks. And uh, now we can catch up. All we need is a good, nice heat wave, and we'd be able to catch up very quickly. But farmers are not on their fields yet to do any. There's no need seeding because the seed is just wouldn't take in these very cool conditions. And, you know, I, I have to tell you that, I don't have any magic uh, good news that I'm going to bring you or your listeners because um, we're seeing May as turning out to be uh, uh, what you see is what you're going to get. That's often persistence in weather, and and um, and, and we think May will be cooler than normal. So, um, you know, we may go from slush to sweat, like again, like we did last year away where spring was non-existent, and um, and we and of course, it always makes people feel bad because that and this is the beginning of. The warm season. We're losing days. It's never very long to suit our our hopes and uh, and and 
shear is clear evidence that it seems to be shorter. So uh, because we're losing it at the front end. So, but again, I mean, I think eventually it'll warm up, but it doesn't seem to be. And certainly in the next two weeks, I think they're going. People are going to feel even more morose uh, because they're going to feel that my gosh, uh, spring is clearly it's it's itching up. It's warming a little bit one day to the next, but we're not seeing those twenty degree temperatures, and we see single digit temperatures at night, and uh, we see a lot of days with rain. Uh, and uh, so that misery continues, and, and it's not as if it's going to change. Okay, so certainly, which means that we just have to stick it out for uh, at least the next couple of weeks into May. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a quick uh, goodbye April, <laughs> hello 20 degree weather, as you just mentioned. Um, something that's probably going to stick around with us for a little while longer, correct? Right, I think so. Patience is the is the operative word. I think we're just going to have to be a little. There's all of the hoping, praying, and begging we do is not going to change Mother Nature. She's going to give give us uh, the weather that we want or that we not need, but what we we're going to get, uh, not based on our wishes and hopes. So um, I think we'll just have to take it when it comes. I'm hoping that by the May two four weekend, which is usually the real kickoff of uh, summer here in our 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 area, um, I hopefully by that time. We'll have had a couple of warm days, and uh, and uh, we can be able to turn off the heat and get the air conditioning going. I mean, my gosh, we're not even in free energy time, so it's um, been a bit frustrating. But uh, I think for most listeners in York Region, they should feel heartened by the fact that all Canadians are seeing a miserable spring. It's not just somebody's hoarding all the good weather. And, in fact, I think you can look not too far and see a lot more misery than we're putting up with. So, hey, I think we can quietly complain about it, but I don't think we really have uh, much to complain about compared to other parts of the country. Fair enough. And you know what? It's, it's wise words, and we should continue to take that and just live humbly with it. When the summer comes, it will come. Right. Exactly. Thank you so much, David. It's always a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye now. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next stop takes us to Markham Stouffville Hospital and their efforts to reduce wait times for patients. Jim Lang with the story. Well, anybody who has had any kind of medical diagnostics or an MRI will tell you how important it is to detecting problems, diagnosis in healthcare in Canada. And at the forefront in the region, in the province, in the country, there's our very own Markham Stobel Hospital. And thrilled to be speaking to Lynn Campkin, their Director of Diagnostic and Laboratory Services. Lynn, it's a pleasure. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Jim. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to you today and give your listeners a little bit of an idea of what's going on at Markham Stovall Hospital. Well, 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 please do, because I'm, I had a leg injury a couple of years ago, and I needed an MRI, and I was fascinated by the procedure, what went into it, but more importantly, what my orthopedic specialist was able, was able to glean from that, and how she could point out different things in my body. It is so important to healthcare in this new millennium. Uh, that, how how do you, how many I guess MRI machines are there at Markham Stovall Hospital, and how busy are they on a daily basis? Uh, well, your, your first point is really very well taken. Uh, you know, patients can't get better until they have a good diagnosis, so we take that responsibility really, really uh, um, uh, seriously. There's two MRIs at Markham Stovall Hospital. One of them is a three Tesla, the other is a 1.5 Tesla, and we serve all specialists and all patients. Um, so orthopedics is certainly one of our biggest clients, uh, and we're very busy. One of the magnets works 24-7, wow. so patients could come in at 2 in the morning, but at this point, due to the... Um, Due to the importance of the modality and the expense, uh, we, we, we try to be very resourceful and we use it to its full capacity. So one magnet uh, 24-7 and the other one 16 hours a day for uh, seven days a week. Well, well, Lynn, I, I think you guys and your staff should be commended at Markham Stovall Hospital. It's one of the top in the whole area when it comes to wait times, and that's a buzzword with uh, health care in 2019 is wait times and hallway medicine. You seem to be able to get people through there on a regular basis in short order. Yes. You know, we, uh, we have a very good team. Uh, we have a technical specialist who leads a team of MRI technologists, uh, and we have focused over the years on many process improvements uh, 
to make the uh, whole system work better. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, it starts with an order from your physician, and there are many different touch points and handovers between the physician who orders the study and, and what needs to occur for the patient to walk into the unit uh, at Markham Stoverland and actually get their study. And so we've done lots of lean studies to make sure that our processes are uh, efficient, effective, and that still enable us to deliver a, um, a compassionate, uh, good patient experience so that every patient feels as though they are, uh, they are being dealt with um, compassionately and uh, with good communication skills. Oh, understandable. Speaking with Lynn Kamkin, she's the Director of Diagnostic and Laboratory Services for the cutting-edge, state-of-the-art Markham Stobel Hospital. Very lucky to have it right here in our own backyard. You can always get details with their Twitter feed, at MS Hospital. And uh, I guess with the new technology and all the new platforms, uh, Markham Stobel Hospital is able to use that for patients who can access the results uh, much quicker than they did maybe even just five years ago, Lynn. Uh, yes. Um our physicians are very good about getting back to their patients, but we have introduced a new opportunity at Pocket Health. Pocket Health is an online patient portal, and patients are able to um, access their diagnostic imaging history very easily online from any device, their telephone, their, their smartphone, uh, computer, uh, and this means that they don't need to come back to the hospital to have a CD burned. Hmm. Uh, they have uh, full access to their to their imaging history um, very easily online at any time. That's a, that is a, a, a fabulous new initiative by the hospital, and you guys, a, a hand thumbs up to you, because before it was always the way to have to get it, and now with you can have it turned around that fast. That's going to make diagnosis of any problem for in healthcare so much more efficient. The opportunity described by uh, Pocket Health is when a when a patient needs to go outside their uh, their community hospital to seek consultation with a specialist in another setting. They take those images with them to another to to the physician, to mm -hmm. the chiropractor, etc. And so they have the full series of images, uh, and they're they're actually instantly available. As soon as the as soon as the exam is over, the patients have access to those images should they need to take them to an external consultant. So yes, it is a very good opportunity and it will speed uh, healthcare and ultimately recovery, patient recovery. Lynn, I always think about technology. Everyone's talking about how things are every six months, one year, two year, there's a new wave of technology. And I can't think of anything that utilizes cutting edge technology more than healthcare and hospitals in Canada, especially in York Region of Markham Stobel Hospital. Are there things in the horizon that could make it even better that we could, could know about or possibly hear about? There are always improvements uh, in all technologies that would be surgical, diagnostic. Um, yes, so it's, it's a big part of what uh, your leaders, uh, physician leaders and technical and clinical leaders do at the hospital. They keep an eye on the horizon for introduction of improved technologies. We really have a lot to thank our foundation uh, and our community uh, for uh, because in order to stay ahead abreast of technologies, it means investing, constant investing in new in new equipment. And Markham Stouffville uh, Uxbridge has been extremely generous to the hospital, and we are at the forefront of technology, both information management as well as uh, direct caregiving. Indeed, you know, Lynn, I, I, my family and I, we watch Grey's Anatomy every week. But uh, you know, speaking to you, this is what this is the real Grey's Anatomy. It's it's Markham Stovall Hospital Anatomy, and it's being done with the the most amazing diagnostic and laboratory services. Lynn, you and your staff continue success and great work in helping healthcare uh, push new boundaries in 2019 and beyond. Uh, you and your staff should be very proud of yourselves. Thank you very much for that, Jim. There's just one other uh, point I'd like oh, to make. by all means. Say yes. <laughs> and that is uh, we information management uh, technologies are also very helpful, and we have just introduced a new one that automatically provides uh, patients with a message, uh, a, no uh, a message of when their appointments are. Oh, great. 
One of the things that we have difficulties with is life is busy and patients sometimes don't come to the hospital for their scheduled appointments. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this because way they get, they get an alert now, right? Is so, pardon? They get an alert now so they don't miss their appointment. They get an alert, yes. And therefore, that helps us be more productive uh, and, and uh, everyone who needs a study uh, has better access to get, to get, their, uh, to get their diagnostic tests. Well, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're going 24-7 with one of your MRI machines, you, you can't afford to be waiting around for someone for an appointment because it backs everything up. Yes, and if they don't come at all, it's a wasted space. Yeah, yeah. And someone who, who really needs that examination doesn't get it. Uh, so we, we're looking at, at ways to help patients um, be more uh, accountable to the system and also to be um, reminded, reminded. So if they can't come, they have an easy, an easy route to cancel and rebook. Well, I know I'm, if I don't write it down, I'm not going to remember it. So I think this is a great thing. Lynn Kampkin from Markham Stowell Hospital, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us in the feed and, and hope you have a great spring and summer. Thank you very much, Jim. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This is the feed on 105.9, the region where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including the 13th Annual Cycling Fundraiser for Villa Charities. Coming up towards the end of the month, we are going to have the 13th edition of the Giro. Now, to talk more about what this event is about is Anthony DiCaida, who is the president and CEO of Villa Charities. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I cannot complain. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, so let's let the listeners know, what is Villa Charities? Villa Charities is an organization that uh, supports the Italian culture and heritage um, and is located in central Toronto, right around Dufferin and Lawrence. Perfect. And so what uh, services do you offer and who do you cater to? So we offer a wide variety of services. We support seniors in affordable housing. We help and provide support to both our long-term care facilities, one at, on our campus at Dufferin and Lawrence and one uh, in Vaughan. Uh, we provide a number of community programs through our facilities at the Columbus Centre, daycare, dance, culture, arts, music. So we, we really reach out to a number, and we also have a multiple number of daycare centers as well, all of the generations. Perfect. Okay, so you're helping out in so many different ways, um, not just uh, specifically geared, geared to um, the senior community, which is great. And so how long has Villa Charities been operating? Villa Charities has been operating about 40 years. About 40 years. Okay, and so then yeah. how did the idea come about to, to um, establish such a charity? Uh, it started a long time ago, a number of the people who we refer to as our founders had a great idea and a great vision um, to help the Italian community, which was predominantly located in this geographic area, to provide services and networks of support and then uh, look after seniors and as, as they reached and advanced through their different ages of life. So the very first facility they built was Villa Colombo, Toronto. And then because this campus had some additional space, we started developing a number of other facilities to meet the needs of uh, the Italian community and others in the local community. Very cool. Okay. And so how have you seen uh, the charity organization um, helping out others in the community so far um, with your um, time being there? Well, as I said earlier, we provide a number of community programs, so about uh, 80% of the people who use a lot of our community programs are people who live in the uh, general community within about a five-kilometer uh, radius of our facility. So we provide um, music, cultural programming, arts. We have an art gallery here as well. We have a couple of restaurants. We have a large athletic facility. Um, so people take advantage of that. And then um, from other perspectives, as a charity, we support some of our affiliates who provide long-term care. And if any anyone else in the community or anyone else comes to us with a compelling um, position on anything with respect to Italian culture and heritage. Um, we'd like to, and we have done, we've provided some financial support for those projects as well. That's awesome. Okay, so then coming up towards the end of the month, um, uh, an event that is has been going on for quite some time now, it's the edition of the Giro. Can you talk to me about what it is? 
Sure. The Giro is a cycling event. It's not a race. Um, we have three different versions of it at the same time. So for people who are casual riders, we have a 25-kilometer route. For people who are intermediate, intermediates and uh, love cycling, we have a 60-kilometer route. And for those who are a little bit more serious, we have a 100-kilometer route. Um, the ride goes through different parts of uh, the northern part of the city. So we're in Woodbridge, we're in Kleinberg, King City, and the ride leaves from the Veneto Club and everybody comes back to the Veneto Club. We have a number of different stops along the route with different Italian flavors and um, treats for people. And then when we come back, we have a lunch and all of the money that's raised helps support both our long-term care homes. Awesome. Okay. And so how can one um, donate or register? Do they register on the day of or can they pre-register? You can pre-register, and we take registrations all the way up until the day of. Um, you can go to our website, villacharities.com um, forward slash GITO 2019, and all of the information is there on how to register, what the event's about, and what we're doing with, uh, with the funds and how, uh, how we help benefit the seniors throughout the whole program. Perfect. And if you're somebody who can't maybe cycle, um, can somebody maybe sponsor somebody else who is cycling on the day of? Absolutely. If you go to our website, you'll see all the people who are participating and uh, you can pair up and provide some support in that way. Or if you want to volunteer or if you want to participate in some way, we can use extra hands. It's uh, it's a great event. It's a lot of fun and uh, it's a real treat for those people who keep coming back year after year. Awesome, Anthony. Okay, so then one last time just for the listeners to know again uh, when this event is taking place um, and where they can go for more information. It takes place on Sunday, May 26th, uh, 2019. And if they go to our website, villacharities.com forward slash GITO 2019, they'll get all the information that they need. Perfect. Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about this. I am sure that this is going to be quite a successful event. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Another good cause coming up on May 26th is the Evergreen Hospice Dove release. Jan, thanks for joining us again on The Feed. My pleasure. Can you remind our listeners, what is Evergreen Hospice? Evergreen Hospice is a community hospice that's in uh, our offices in Markham, but we serve the Markham, Stouffville, Wichert, Stouffville and Thornhill areas. Uh, community hospice is different from a residential hospice because it provides the services in the family's home or somewhere else in the community. Um, so some of our programs are actually um, supporting the person who's ill who may be at home uh, or we might be supporting the caregivers who are often the forgotten people in the system and are really holding the whole thing together for all of us. Isn't that the truth? And uh, most of us are caregivers in some form or fashion. Um, and then the third group we serve are the people who are bereaved and left behind after someone dies. And how do you serve those people? Um, we have a number of things. We have a, a mailing that we send out to anyone we hear about who is bereaved, uh, connected to us in any way. Um, and that goes out once a month with a little bit of information about bereavement and normal grief and what you can expect um, for the person who doesn't want to come in and talk about things. Um, but also included in those mailings once a month are the information about the other things that are going on at Evergreen that might be useful to them and inviting them to contact us if they're running into difficulties. So that's sort of our baseline stuff. Um, then we uh, have um, support groups for people who have had a death in their family and we have them for children and teens and adults and we have a drop-in group that you just show up at when you need it and we also have groups that are set up that they run eight weeks and it's the same people in them. And then a lot of people really like to have a bit of one-on-one -on -one counseling. So we have professional counselors that will help support people through that grief journey. Um, and some need a little bit of support and some people need a lot more, depending on how complicated the situation is that they were in. Are there fees or costs associated with these services and this type of support? No, we're a registered charity and we um, get a 
about 30% of our funding from uh, the provincial government. And then we raise the rest of it ourselves. So we do special events. We have people who uh, s- uh, sponsor our events. Some of them sponsor our programs um, and get to put their name on it. Um, and then we get a lot of donors that uh, provide us with individual donations that uh, help a great deal too. Well, you just provided the perfect segue. You talked about the fact that you're a charity and you have a number of events and fundraisers. What do you have coming up? On uh, May 26th, that's a Sunday, we're, we're having an event we call, we're calling Passing the Care Forward. And it's a memorial dove release and we're having a, a, a short walk through the Rouge Valley and lunch afterwards. Uh, but the main purpose is to allow people who have lost a relative, uh, who has, a relative who's died, um, and want to memorialize them by releasing a dove in their name. Um, and the funds that they raise to participate in the event will be passed forward to the next group of people that might need Evergreen Services. What a great idea. Where did it come from? Um, I guess you you hear that expression, pass it on, all the time. So and we paying decided, it forward. Yeah. So uh, we decided to try and use that because most of the people who come to Evergreen for support really appreciate uh, the counseling or the groups or the mailings and want to do something for someone else. So this is an opportunity that they can do it for the organization so the organization can help the next person who comes to us. For our listeners who want more information about Evergreen Hospice, where can they go? Our website is evgcares.org. So there's information about the the Dove release on there, as well as all our programs. Um, they can call our office at 416-499-2185. Um, and they can email us at info at evgcares.org. And how can people get involved? What if, um, you know, they're going to participate in events and um, can they volunteer? Yes. In fact, we're desperate for volunteers all the time. Uh, our volunteers do all kinds of different things for the organization. Some of them plan events like our Dove release and our gala. Um, some are involved in our board work because our entire board is volunteer. Um, we have committees that work with the board and then they're all volunteers. And then we have a about 75 volunteers that actually are trained to work with uh, clients who are ill. And so they would be matched with a family and work in their home once a week, just for uh, a period of two to four hours a week. So you provide training for volunteers? Yeah, they get 30 hours of training initially, and then we provide ongoing training all year round, just interesting things um, that they can learn on top of the basic information. And what kind of work do they do when they're caring for a patient? Uh, We do what we call psychosocial support. Uh, We're not there to change beds or... um, do the dishes or clean the house or any of that kind of thing. It's mostly to talk with a person, provide them with someone who will just listen to them. Some some people find it hard to um, talk to their f- closest family members for fear of burdening them with their worries and concerns. And if they have someone who doesn't have any connection to the family, it makes it much easier to to talk to them about things that really matter. And often our volunteers are... are capable enough that they can encourage them to talk to the family members because quite often the family members are talking to the same volunteer because they don't want to burden the person who's ill. And, you know, they really need to talk to each other, but it takes time before they can do that. It's amazing work. One more time uh, for our listeners, where can they get more information? Our website is evgcares.org and our phone number is 416-499-2185. Thanks for joining us again on the feed. Thank you. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for a replay. We take the stage next for the Theatre Ontario Festival. Galit Solomon with a preview. 
Wayne and Sharon, thank you both for joining me in studio today. It's great to have you here. Thank you. And some very exciting stuff happening. Uh, So let's begin right at the beginning. From what I understand, the Curtain Club Theater is a real grassroots movement, or at least it started as a grassroots movement back in 1954. What can you tell me about it? The Curtain Club has been around for over 65 years now. It started uh, with a bunch of members just sitting around reading plays, and they started to rehearse and put them on in their basements, and uh, it it eventually grew. They started performing in the old Canadian Tire on Young Street, in a garage, uh, some other places, uh, until, um, and then that group eventually built uh, started the building where we are now at 400 Newkirk. Okay. So, in in York region, yeah. of course, so very much embedded in the community here. Absolutely. And there's a very exciting event that is coming up in May. So it's May 15th to the 19th. It's called Theatre Ontario Festival. Wayne, what can you tell me about it? So it is the culmination of a year of theatre across the province of uh, not-for-profit volunteer theatre, um, people that uh, do various things during the day and at night take mm-hmm. out their artistic um, bent in doing community theatre to entertain our province. And uh, the four regions select through a various process um, a winner of a best production to send on to a festival, and this is that festival. So these shows have competed against other shows, mm-hmm. and they have been uh, chosen by a professional adjudicator to come and represent their region. Okay, excellent. So, And, and we have the names of these shows as well, right? Yes. What are they? Yes. So we're starting off with Late Company by Jordan Tannehill. It's from Bloor West Village. So this is the ACCO entry. Uh, so from west, the western part of Toronto. Um, this is Bloor West Village's first time to a festival mm. uh, ever. So they're really excited. Right. And Jordan Tannehill, the author, is a Governor Award winner. Uh, wow. Governor General Award winner. So we have some. We have a real powerhouse of authors coming this year. That's fantastic. Um, the Thursday evening um, is the entry from Quanta, and it's from Gorbay. It's called "This Is How We Got Here" by Keith Barker. Um, he's actually a runner-up Governor Award winner. Um, mm-hmm. So he's uh, and he's also Indigenous. So it's another great. Uh, I would say. F- forward-thinking play that people, it's new, and it's not, and people are going to be really excited to see it. Right. Um, Our third one is uh, Outside Mullingar from Domino Theatre in Kingston, and it's by none other than John Patrick Shanley, who most people know have won, has won Oscars and Tonys, etc. And so there's another real powerhouse there, and it's a lovely comedic play, Irish bent. Um, it's beautiful, and uh, people will really love that one. And then we close off on Saturday night with the entry from WODL uh, from Theatre Sarnia called Girls Like That by Evan Placey. Um, it's a British show. Um, it's probably our newest one. Um, really uh, forward-thinking um, about bullying in schools. And oh, it wow. started out in Britain and has won a lot of the awards over there. So we're really excited. This is a really uh, cool slate of plays to have. The yeah. topics sound very relevant too. Very to, much so. To things that are happening. Well, and two of the productions, Light Company and uh, Girls Like That, actually have education guides um, for uh, for the content to be studied in school. They've actually developed curriculum guides. So mm-hmm. certainly for for students to come, um, especially uh, Light Company and Girls Like That, they're incredible. And our audiences that have already bought tickets, there's a lot of buzz about the the Métis writer coming from uh, the north with. Uh, this is how we got here. And, and when you think about some of these topics, it's a good variety of topics as well. So it there's is. a little something, it sounds like, for everybody. Yes. That's our tagline. We, yeah. We're using that. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Let's talk uh, tickets and uh, where people can purchase these uh, these tickets. And, and beyond that, I understand there are some, some events that are tied into the festival as well. Correct. Actually, we should start. The event is actually happening at the Rich Mill Center for the Performing Arts. Um, we're very lucky. We have a great theater with the Curtain Club. It's not big enough to host this. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're using the Richmond Hill Center. And uh, you can get tickets through there, right, Wayne? Right. And uh, 
So we're also using our theater, but we're using our theater for the opening ceremonies. We're using mm -hmm. our theater for um, the educational workshops. So every night uh, there's a show starts at eight o'clock. There's a very brief um, private or public adjudication by the professional adjudicator um, following the show, and then the next morning at the Curtain Club Theater, everybody is welcome to come and watch as a, as they go into a very deep so-called private adjudication but it's open to the public but adjudication that where they go through very detailed issues mm -hmm. about the play and talk about things that could be done differently or why that which particular piece was chosen um, as well as um, the playwright um, Keith Barker whose play happens to be done on Thursday we'd already chosen him to be our playwright in person who's coming to do a workshop on this third on the Friday so it's really exciting that people will actually have been it had a chance to see that play on uh, the Thursday night um, and also following the the performances there is a green room party or a post post show party mm -hmm. back at our theater every night so uh there's going to be stuff at two, at two places and there's a fourth actually a third venue um is that we're using uh Langstaff Community Center for the luncheon on the Sunday so th that's and tickets for all of those events actually the things that are at the curtain club are all free of charge mm -hmm. but the other tickets are available at uh the Richmond Hall Center Performing Arts box office which is uh 9058 Seven eight eighty eight eleven. A bit early in the interview for numbers, but if we can get it at multiple times, that's sure. great. Yeah, and yeah, they we'll can do. also get t uh, tickets by going to the website uh, www.theaterontariofestival.ca. Fantastic. And how much are tickets going for? Is there a range? or? So if you buy the entire series, it's $100, which oh. is really good value for this Very caliber of theater for $25. Tickets, individual tickets are 27 but we certainly hope people are able to come and see it. Um, also, an interesting piece, that the shows that are on the Wednesday night and Thursday night are one act. So they're going to be earlier nights than mm. uh, some of the, the plays on Friday and Saturday night will actually go a little later. So for people that are worried about being out late on a weeknight, um, that's not necessarily going to be the case for this festival, right. which is exciting as well. Okay, excellent. Let, let's talk about uh, community theater for a moment and uh, the definition of it. What does it mean and who can join? Well, I joined, so that means anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been a member for over 25 years. I think Wayne's just hit his 25 yep. years. Um, the Curtain Club is, uh, the one thing about community theater and all these groups, not just the Curtain Club, um, everybody is a volunteer. And there's room for everybody. There's something for everybody to do. So um, obviously there's a lot of people who like to act, have gone mm -hmm. to school or whatever, but maybe that's not what they ended up doing professionally. Right. Um, so it's a great outlet that way. You can direct, produce, stage manage, props, costumes. But even if you're not artistically bent, um, any theater will, ex you know, can really use any help either with box office, serving coffee, greeting people. Right. All of that's very important. Um, and the one thing I've always liked about community theater um, is y you have a second family. And you're friends with people of all ages and all walks of life, and you're all interested in one thing, and that's theater and what it can bring, right. you know, to bring right. to your life and to other people's lives. And everyone, their goal is to do the best that they can. So it's, it's a great, uh, great place for people to join. You can come in and just build a set and, do whatever. There's there's a lot of there's something for everybody. And the nice thing about being embedded within the community in that sense is you also get an opportunity to give back. Obviously you're Absolutely. volunteering yes. as part of, of the group, but you can also give back to other charities. Yes. So let's talk about that element as well and uh, and what it means to charities that are local. Okay, so um we do five shows a year at the Curtain Club, and just a, a night or two before the opening of each play, we have a charity night. And uh, charities from across York Region can apply to receive tickets, free tickets, to that charity night. So every year we have 15 charities that are the benefactors of 50 free seats mm -hmm. that they can either use as a thank you for their volunteers. They can. Some groups sell the tickets for what we would sell them for to make a fundraiser. Some groups sell them for more to make a really big fundraiser for them. But literally, they can do whatever they want. We just ask that they, you know, please bring 50 people or as close as to 
fifty as they can, mm-hmm. so that um, it gives the it gives the the actors an opportunity to have another night with with an audience, so mm-hmm. they know where the reactions are going to be. Um, but basically, two nights later, the show opens, so it's the same show, and. Um, but it's a great, it's a fantastic opportunity. We've had, you know, Hospital Cancer Society, you name it, we've had all kinds of them. Right. And we're, we really are trying to make sure that different charities get this opportunity. It's not the same charities year after year. So and we certainly encourage uh, people, charities going to our website, looking um, for the application form on our website. And because uh, every spring, every June in July, we select mm-hmm. new charities. So it's and very that's timely. coming up, right? Yep. It's very timely right now. Okay, so in wrapping up, let's go back to Theatre Ontario Fest- Festival. Again, the dates are May 15th to the 19th. Um, what else do people need to know? Let's, let's mention that number once again and the website. So the tickets are available at 905-787-8811. That's the box office for the Richmond Hill Center of Performing Arts. You can also find it on their website or you can get a link through our website, theaterontariofestival.ca. And um, we would love to see you. It's going to be a fantastic festival. It's a, an amazing opportunity for the uh, York region to have access to the caliber of plays and the quality of productions that's going to be coming. Um, Sharon and I have been going to, I think the first theater festival we went together to was in 97. Mm-hmm. And I know we've been to a, probably a dozen since mm-hmm. then um, in various versions. She's probably been to some that I haven't and vice versa. But um, it's a great great opportunity to celebrate theater. Okay, wonderful. Sharon and Wayne, thank you both for your time today. And just before we go on the feed, Muslims worldwide will soon begin a month of fasting. To explain, we spoke with Shafiq Ibrahim of the ISIJ of Toronto. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Shafiq, can you tell us a little bit about Ramadan? Sure. Uh, well, Ramadan is uh, one of the most sacred months uh, of the year for Muslims. And uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, has said that uh, when the month of Ramadan starts, the gates of heaven are open and the gates of hell are closed and all the devils are changed. So, for Muslims, uh, this is uh, a very, very uh, important uh, month, very sacred. Um, and. Uh, as Muslims, uh, we fast for the entire month um, from dawn to sunset, and it's uh, meant to be a time of uh, spiritual discipline and of deep contemplation of one's relationship with God. We do extra prayers. Our charity uh, and generosity is increased, uh, as is our intense study of our holy book, uh, the Quran. When does it start and when does it end? Uh, so, uh, depending on the uh, sighting of the new moon, all indications are that uh, uh, the month of Ramadan will start uh, uh, either Sunday or Monday, uh, most likely Monday, uh, which will be the first fast. Uh, of course, children who are, uh, uh, you know, or not of uh, age of majority are not uh, obligated to fast, uh, but others are all uh, obligated to fast. Now, Shafiq, you mentioned that this is a very solemn and reflective time. What happens yeah. when Ramadan is over? Uh, well, it's, uh, uh, the, the Ramadan ends uh, with the marking of what we call uh, Eid al-Fitr, uh, which is the uh, first day of the new, new month, uh, uh, the month of uh, uh, Shawwal. And um, it's a time for rejoicing. It's a time for celebration. Um, one after our fast of uh, 30 days, um, we... Again, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much like uh, Christmas to us, uh, where we go visit uh, families and uh, we celebrate and, uh, you know, we rejoice uh, having completed, uh, uh, you know, a good uh, one month of uh, spiritual enlightenment and, and fasting. If our listeners want more information, where can they go? Uh, sure, they can uh, easily go on to www.jaffari.com. Uh, we have a website uh, that has all the information on there regarding the uh, month of Ramadan. Thank you once again for joining us on the feed. You're welcome. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening. <laughs>